Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey through the miraculous world of film. Hello. Um, it's we're back. It's episode yes, number ten of the Bomb Shelter. We made it this far. You made it this far, and well, yep. we're grateful. Thank you for making it this far alongside us. My co-host is on the other side of the line. He's a beautiful man named Pat Maganya. Pat, how are you? Yes, I'm doing great. I'm doing so great. Oh, I can tell. That was so enthusiastic. My name, of course, Yes, I'm is... doing fabulous. <laughs> My name, of course, so is great. Max Irbeck. And uh, just a little uh, heads up. You might have heard this. We, I put a little disclaimer at the start of the episode. The movie that you've voted for recently will be discussed by the both of us, but not this week. Our no. special presentation, I would call it this week because it was chosen yes. by us, yeah, is a yeah. 1984 fantasy sci-fi film called Dune by, uh, yes. would you call him a renamed author, David Lynch? Do we consider David oh, Lynch would, an author? I would call him... I would call him a renowned auteur, which is how that word is pronounced. Oh. Um, yes, I would call him quite the auteur. He's, I don't know if you've heard of David Lynch, but he's quite the director. I haven't heard of the word renowned, apparently, but I have heard of David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. No, you said auteur wrong. That was that was what I was saying. Oh, really? You said author. You said author. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Right. <laughs> That's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, Max is doing great, if anyone is wondering. Um, yeah, Eng English is not my first or second language, even though I speak it very well. Yes. <laughs> so we're talking uh, David Lynch's Dune, and the reason we are is because I suggested it and Max didn't say no. Um, well, I, I also Max said yes. I think that is <laughs> an important point of clarification. He didn't just not say no he also said yes so in case anyone was wondering max said yes max consented to watching the david lynch do um I here's the thing, max uh i don't know if, if you've also consented to subscribing to this podcast on all platforms but if I have, you're listening actually. to us you definitely should um please please subscribe please follow us please interact uh send us questions if you want Thank you for participating on the poll, if you already do, because um, we really enjoy doing this, and we do it because you enjoy it. Um, so keep enjoying it and tell your friends. Yes. <laughs> yes, dude. Yes, please do that. Keep keep doing that. Please do that. So we're not going to waste our time with any segments pre-Dune discussion. We have discussed Dune briefly. I think it was episode either two or three when it came to yes, our most anticipated three. films of the year. And yeah. shortly after that, we got a poster and a trailer for Dune part two. I think it was literally the next day. We were, we were talking about it the, the next day. They came out with the trailer with like Zen, Zendaya and, and Timmy C talking about swimming. And Zendaya is like, nah, there's no such thing as swimming. And then the trailer goes on. And that, that's what I remember from the trailer, mostly. Also writing a sandworm and stuff. I, so I, most, I mostly remember Austin Butler as Fade Ratha because that is... Oh, a, yeah, that's another thing. It's a very stylized and terrifying look. 
which is yes. not necessarily what you can say about the looks of some of the villains in David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> they just look very gross. They just it's, look aggressive. It's disgusting. hard to look at. It's hard. It's hard to look at sometimes. So, since this is a David Lynch film, I think yeah. the positive section is going to be considerably longer than most positive yes. sections we've done across every Probably. single one of our episodes. So Except Cindy La Regia, surprisingly. Surpri we were surprisingly <laughs> very positive on Cindy La Regia. That's and I true. think we're going to be surprisingly positive on this one. Um, so I, I'm going to give some backstory for my my Dune love. I, I love Dune. Um, I'm a big Dune head. I read the first three books. Uh, I read the first book twice. Uh, oh my. I love... I, I didn't read the rest because they don't have... Because they just keep getting progressively up their own ass. Just like... they uh, I don't know if you know this, but in this sequel or like from the fourth book onward, um, Paul's son, Leto, um, becomes a giant worm god hybrid. Which, which we see in... those creatures in David Lynch's Dune. We have not seen we them see... in modern Denis Villeneuve Dune. Yeah, we, we did see the sandworms. You did not see... Um, the human you have not spice seen... hybrid worm creature. Yeah, uh, so he becomes a worm god that lives for 1,500 years, uh, breeding the descendants of his sister with progressive clones of Jason Momoa's character, Duncan Idaho. Of Duncan Idaho, exactly. Um, and then <laughs> and then he rules and he rules the universe until someone blows up a bridge and he's dropped into water and he dies. Shout That's, out then, shout out uh, All Shift X. It's it's a it's a fantastic YouTube channel all about yeah. uh, sci-fi and fantasy, the grown-up kind. And he yes. because of him I'm aware that uh throughout the Dune <laughs> sequels Duncan Idaho gets uh Progressively well, cloned. He well, gets he gets, cloned, he gets, he gets and cloned and resurrected and killed yeah. over and over and over again. If they do more Dune sequels, Jason Momoa is going to have a stable job for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. Just being progressive clones of Duncan Idaho. Um, so yeah, I love Dune. Uh, I love the Jodorowsky Dune documentary. Jodorowsky sounds like a terrible guy, but his version of Dune is so <laughs> insane and weird. And it was going to be 20 hours long. And it was going to star Mick Jagger as Fate Rautha. And it was going to star Orson Welles as the Baron. Which would have been awesome. Honestly. It, it would have been. Even... And was it Salvador Dali as the Emperor? Yes. Dali was going to be the Emperor. Exactly. Salvador also... Dali as the Emperor. And he was going to improvise all his lines. He wouldn't. He just he wouldn't gonna... read the script ever. Yeah. He was going to improvise his lines. Yes. But he would also. Uh, since he's an insane dude, he's an he's a crazy guy. You know, you know Salvador Dali. You know, you know about Dali. Salvador Dali. He's he's a bit of, he's a bit crazy. <laughs> Just let me tell you, he's a little weird. Um, so uh, <laughs> the guy wanted to be the highest paid actor in the world, so he was like, "I'm gonna charge a million dollars an hour. That's my rate." So Khodorovsky was like, "Okay, we'll film all your scenes in one hour, and then the rest of your scenes with a mannequin." And Dali was like, "Yes, you can do it as long as I get to keep the mannequin." Like that's that was <laughs> <laughs> that was the deal. That was the deal. Okay. The, I didn't know that. The, okay. The 
the, they say all this in the documentary, which is incredible. If you haven't seen Khodorkovsky's Dune, the documentary, it's great. Um, Orson Welles was uh, brought onto the project because they were like, hey, do you want to be the Baron in this sci-fi thing? And this is late career Orson Welles where he's just like drinking and eating himself to death. So they show him the script for this Dune movie that they're doing. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. And then they're like, what if we take the chef from your favorite restaurant and we hire him as your personal chef for the set? And Orson Welles was like, yes. <laughs> Orson, Dear Orson God. Welles said yes to being the Baron Oh Harkonnen. my God. <laughs> it's the best. They were going to have, um, yeah, they were going to have like uh, Salvador Dali, yeah, as Saddam, Saddam IV. Um, David Carradine was going to play Leto Atreides. Um, Geraldine Solid. Chaplin was going to play Lady Jessica. Uh, Mick Jagger, again, was going to play Fate Rautha. Um, they were going to get music from Magma. Uh, they were going to get music from Pink Floyd. They did all the designs with uh, Jean Giraud better known as Moebius, Mobius, Mobius, a famous comic book artist. Mm -hmm. um, the designer for all the special effects was the guy who did the 2001 effects. H.R. Geiger was brought on to do this, and he used all the unused designs to make the Alien movies. Correct. Um, it's Dan O'Bannon was the special effects guy. Um, yeah, No, Dali demanded to be paid $100,000 an hour, which in 1970s or 1960s money is a million dollars kind yeah, of yeah um, even though uh, i think this was still produced by de laurentis right do you know de laurentis no this no? was produced by uh no this was a uh, produced it was a french consortium which okay. is my favorite word okay led by jean-paul gibbon um okay. his own son was going to star as paul atreides which is fun uh huh Chris Foss is a British artist who designed covers for science fiction periodicals. He designed all the ships. Um, yeah, it was insane. It, it had a fourteen. It was a fourteen-hour movie that Khodorkovsky was going to make, and he made like a huge Bible with like all the storyboards and the character designs, and he sent it to every studio because it was going to be a fourteen-hour movie. No one paid for it, but everyone got a copy of that book, and that book inspired what would later become like Star Wars and the Terminator movies. And just so much, like, there's specific shots from Khodorovsky's Dune that he was going to make that are, like, in Terminator, which is insane. It's the craziest. Um, Dino De Laurentiis acquired the rights from Gibbons Consortium after the Khodorovsky Dune fell through. Okay. So that's, 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 that's when De Laurentiis came in, and that's when, uh, yeah, I think he had Frank Herbert write versions of the yeah. script, and then... It was crazy, yeah. When... Oh yeah, when when his when De Laurent, when Dino De Laurentiis' daughter saw the Elephant Man, that's when they chose David Lynch to yeah. make this version of the film. And this version itself was supposed to be at first two movies, and then one four-hour movie, and then the studio made David Lynch condense it down into this two and a quarter hour movie. Yeah, so With, there's uh, a... Knowing think, what we know today and, yeah. you know, Dune being split up, the first, the story of the first Dune book being split up into two movies. Yeah. That's a bad yeah, it's crazy. sort of it's sign that this is so two hours a, and 14 minutes and it's supposed to cover this insanely rich, <laughs> long story. 
so um this movie uh well here's the thing should we spoil the story of dune for everyone who hasn't (laughs) so so in case you haven't seen the first part of dune um the released by denis villeneuve well directed Uh, by denis villeneuve released by legendary pictures yeah so man there's no way to sum up the plot of dune in like one paragraph like you need to be like it's uh, so there's like an empire and the emperor is like afraid of this one royal house called the Harkonnens. So he conspires with their mortal enemies, the Harkonnens, uh, to uh, place you, you them said in Harkonnen a position. Twice. He's afraid of the Atreides. He's afraid of the Atreides and he conspires with the Harkonnens to quietly eliminate them by, first of all, forcing them to work this desert planet called Arrakis, which is the only source of spice, which is the most powerful, important substance in the universe. So they are going to sabotage their spice operation, thereby thereby making them monetarily weaker. And then they're going to send legions of Sardaukar troops, which are really scary, good fighters, right? However, what they don't count on is that uh, the scion of House Atreides, Paul, and his mother Jessica, are going to escape this carnage and they're going to form an alliance with the indigenous people of Arrakis called the Fremen. And uh, what happens in the book, spoilers for part two of Dune, or I don't know, maybe they'll change the story the way they did in this movie. So what happens in the book is that Paul's mom manipulates the Fremen into thinking that Paul Atreides is their messiah. So they'll fight for him. But the ploy goes way too far. And it ends up with the Fremen just like burning their way through the universe and making Paul the emperor and like this messianic religious super powerful figure. Uh, What happens in this movie is that uh, the mom does not manipulate them because he is actual Jesus. Like he is Jesus. He actually is Jesus in this movie. He actually is Jesus. They fall into all of the white savior. Like he's here to save the indigenous people from the bad person. Uh, He makes... He literally makes it rain in the end. He makes it rain in the desert that's at the, the end ending. of the movie. And everyone's, that's the ending. The ending is like these poor indigenous people are like, what? Rain? Like, it's crazy. Um, yeah, he's actually like declared the Messiah by his little, by his crazy little sister. Um, yeah, they, they, there's no nuance. There's nothing of the cool stuff from the book of like the, how the book is kind of like a testament to like, don't trust the white savior. Mm-hmm. Don't trust charismatic figureheads because messi- they're here to the destroy everything. The messianic myth is just that, yes. a myth. Yes, exactly. Uh, and here's the thing. I will say, as far as like an adaptation of Dune goes, I think story-wise, this movie, again, the first half, pretty intact. Second half, not, not, as, not at all. All the thematic stuff from the book is gone. However... I will say this movie feels more, in terms of vibe and atmosphere, it feels more like the book. Because really? it is kind of weird. It is kind of weird and hazy. And there's and all the like narration that happens in the characters' heads really like puts you in kind of a trance. And it, there's points where you're like, what is happening? Okay. And the visuals are crazy and all that stuff. And like it does kind of feel like everything is kind of floating in the spice melange, if you know what I mean. Like, people were high making this. And that's how you should make a Dune movie if you want to be really faithful to the books. 
the the Villeneuve version is just really cool as its own thing, but it is not. It does not feel like the book. It's a Hollywood adaptation of that book. Would it's you a, agree with it's that? a very Hollywood. It, both of them are very Hollywoodized adaptations of the book because they star, you know, the hot people of the time, and they have the big old special effects and the big old scores and the big old stuff. You know what I mean? But they're very different approaches. Like Denis is like, no, I'm going to make a Denis movie. And David Lynch is also like, I'm going to make a David Lynch movie. And David Lynch's style and the way he made the movie is closer to the vibe of the book. It's just that this movie was cut to pieces. It was hacked to pieces by the studio. Even in pre-production. Uh, and, and still, yeah. this is probably the most conventional, least weird David Lynch movie beside the Disney movie that he made a couple years later. What Disney movie did he make? What, what Disney he, movie he made a make? Disney movie about an old guy traveling the U.S. on a tractor. Let me find oh, the uh, film home, for a second. Homeward Bound? Maybe. Probably. Or most I haven't story? seen it. It's, it's just this little blip in David Lynch's <laughs> filmography that Whoa, I happen me, to okay, know about. I gotta, I gotta look that up now. <laughs> I gotta yeah. look this up. Oh, I'm looking it up this? right now. Don't, don't you worry. Don't you worry. I'll, I'll have it in just oh, a second. The thing is, on his IMDb, he has 99 directing credits because he's made so many short films. David yeah. Lynch. So it's gonna take me a the little bit of time. The straight story. That's what it is. It's the straight story. The straight story. There you go. Yeah, I had, I had heard the like, um, I'd heard the plot description of the straight story. I did not know it was. David Lynch. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually yeah. insane. Yeah, it's very weird, huh? It's probably the most earnest way to bring about David Lynch's fascination with the Americana uh what do you how do you uh with Americana aesthetic. That's that's what it yeah. is. Because in his other work, he's all about twisting it and showing you the the violent, dark underbelly of this sort of layer of Americana culture. Yeah. But that's not really what um, Dune is about, is it? That, Dune is very <laughs> that's different. Not, that's not what Dune is about at all. So there's a, there's a bunch of little trivia about this movie. First of all, the production was insane. Uh, there's a lot of reports of, like, dead dogs appearing on the set um, what <laughs> just a lot of weird yeah there was a there's a lot of dogs that died on the set um it was filmed entirely in the churubusco studios in mexico city which mostly is like 90 percent. They, they went to the actual desert for some uh for some other they, stuff. they went to the actual desert to the mexican parts, yeah. desert still so it was completely filmed probably the mexican in mexico desert, yeah 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 so uh direction uh uh, oh, David Lynch said no to Return of the Jedi to make this movie. <laughs> Which, to I mean, can you imagine extent, his version of Return of the Jedi? To some extent, I think good, because I don't think Star Wars would be the thing that it ultimately became if David Lynch was involved. With all respect to yeah. David Lynch, who I think is brilliant. Yeah, I think so. And oh, of the known auteurs, perhaps one of the very best. Yeah. Um, so this movie, to me, is a comedy of error or a tragedy of errors in terms of like, obviously, studio interference and David Lynch 
don't mix well together at all. They're no. not. Yeah, Studios and David Lynch, not the best friends, probably. Um, yeah, it's also like early career Lynch too. Relatively um, now, now it's a cult movie, and I can see why. It's it looks insane. <laughs> it looks crazy. Yeah, and it's very gross. And it's very like strange in terms of like everything is like narrated in the inner voice of the characters, like they're all falling asleep. Like they tried to take the life of my son. Like ev- like everyone is like that in this movie. Everyone does looks- ASMR voice. Yes, ah, pure unrefined spice. <laughs> the spice. It's filled with like the spice. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. It's just very weird. It's it's very sleepy and hazy, and it does kind of feel like you're in a fever dream, which is what the Dune book is all about, man. Like, I I was very surprised when I read because I watched this a long time ago, long long time ago, um, and I rewatched it before or right after, either right before or right after I saw the Denis version, and I just rewatched it again today, and I was surprised at how like faithful in terms of vibe and atmosphere it is to the book. It's just like everything else is so crazy. Dune itself is crazy. Dune itself is full of like these really weird concepts, like a soup that recycles your poop so you can drink water. Like that's a that's a weird concept from for the sixties. You know what I mean? Giant worms that you ride around. Um, the fact that the way that you get to travel like intergalactically is by like basically snorting space cocaine and you're like oh yeah yeah and and it's interesting one of the key differences that between this version of dune and the modern version that came out a couple of years ago they describe uh, uh spice travel as traveling without moving Whereas in the modern adaptation, they just say, oh, spice is like gasoline. Yeah, but in terms of what, I don't know, what's conventional and in the mainstream, Dune is still pretty out there. Pretty out there, yeah. Uh, And it's also the granddaddy of most, like, modern sci-fi franchises. Like, I mean, Star Wars is, like, I mean, they do a lot of, there's a lot of desert in, in Star Wars, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So let's get into let's get into what we like about stuff. David Lynch's Dune. Let's alternate. I'll start. I love the opening shot with the zoom out uh, of Princess yeah. Ira. Help me there. Irulan. Ira what? Irulan. Okay, Princess Irulan. The the sort of zoom out that they do on her, and then she proceeds to narrate <laughs> yeah. for a bit. But yeah, I yeah, love she, that opening she, shot. Actually, I I, I, like, I thought it was awesome. I like that shot, but I also like that she vanishes and then she comes back and is like, oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> like, no, you didn't. It's very, very funny to me. Yeah, that's, I that think she, that's like, on purpose. She vanishes for a second. She's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. There's also a thing called the Quidzatz Hadrach. And also Arrakis is also known as Dune. And you're like, oh, that, that, that's the title of the movie. You know what I mean? Like it, they do a roll credit CinemaSense moment. Exactly. Really early in the movie. Um, yeah, that's a fun shot. I I have here in my notes. The score is great. The score is pretty cool. When I saw the opening credits and it, I saw back to back, it said Toto, and I was like, "Huh?" And then it yeah. said Brian yeah, Eno, and I was like, like "Yes," because I've uh, very recently discovered uh, 
well, the deeper catalog of Brian Eno's work, and I've become a big fan. So I was excited yeah. about the fact that Brian Eno had been involved. And honestly, Toto did a fantastic job with the score. I agree. Yeah, they did great. They did great. Uh, I don't. I. I don't think it's better than Hans Zimmer's. Hans Zimmer's is incredible. Just like a one of the all-time great, like weird-ass scores for like modern sci-fi ever done. Um, and I also like the fact that Kolodowski's dude would have had Pink Floyd do the entire music for like the planet for because the idea that Kolodowski had was like a different musical act for each planet they're on. So they have Pink Floyd for Caladan, which is the whole planet of uh, the the Atreides. Exactly. They have a, a band called Magma for Gidi Prime, which is the homeworld of the Harkonnens. And they had another musical act planned for like all the scenes that take place in Arrakis, which is awesome. It's a cool idea, actually. Um, so I like the score. It feels huge in ways that those movies, like from the 80s and 70s and 60s, like when a movie was like a huge production, it does feel huge and all the sets are pretty cool. Like I'm reading here that they needed like multiple, like 80, they built like 80 sets on like 16 sound stages in the Churubusco studios and then they filmed in Chihuahua. You were right, they filmed in the Mexican desert. Um, the design of the worms is insane. The design of the of like the costumes and the weapons and it it does feel very particular and it does feel incredibly detailed and it is it does have this huge sense of scale that comes oh, from absolutely. like the production design and also for I mean in a different way than the Villeneuve Dune feels big and massive because it does focus on like Paul a lot. Uh, but the Lynch movie is like, no, we're going to focus on like the grandeur and the fact, because again, the ending is that Paul Atreides is space Jesus. No ruse, no ruse at all. He's space Jesus the whole way. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's this establishing shots that I think are gorgeous. One of the spaceship of the Harkonnen race, which is about the only thing that's beautiful about the Harkonnen race in this film their spaceship looks yeah. insane and ginormous and you realize the scale that you're sort of moving in and then there's also the first establishing shot on giri prime which has yeah. this i guess it's a statue of this gigantic almost round face with its mouth open and it's uh, there's a smoke coming out of <laughs> yeah. it and that yeah, looks awesome with with the sort of green lights around it i enjoyed that as well so the establishing yeah, shots the, are, are are amazing, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, I have a couple of performances that I wanted to single out. Uh, Brad Dourif as Peter DeVries. They mispronounce it in this movie. They mispronounce it as Piter. Yeah, which is weird. Peter, uh, Peter <laughs> DeVries, uh, the the mentat that works for the Harkonnen. Man, that guy is insane. But I love that his like ferrety disposition. He's just in the elevator by himself. He's like. Is by the juice of Sappho that I set my mind in motion. Blah, 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 blah. And then he takes a drink of the juice of Sappho. And you're like, man, this is this guy's crazy. <laughs> this guy's. But it does lend itself to like, he's like a mad scientist working for the Baron. I think the guy playing the Baron's pretty good. Like, good at playing like that gross, evil, uh, sort of gleefully evil, like floating around the ceiling sort of villain. Like a very maniacal twirl twirl your mustache sort of villain um 
they don't make him smart the way they that way he is in the books or the way he is in, he the, is in the, the new movie, movie uh, where he's played by Stellan Skarsgård, which is like, what a great choice to play that guy. Um, but yeah, Kenneth MacMillan plays Vladimir Harkonnen in this movie. Um, Sting randomly in this movie. I was like, wait, Sting is in this movie. That's right. I was like, I didn't remember that. Um, Sting is also the only uh, Harkonnen uh race member that looks normal won't you say no not not only does he look normal they make a point of like putting him in the little metal bikini for his own uncle to like lust after and it's they like make oh, it, they the make him look dude. sexy yeah if we're on, they, they make, make him look sexy. sexy they make him look sexy in little metal underwear um also sean young is in this movie like there's a bunch of times oh, that I was just looking there's at a bunch of sexy like, in this film let me tell you that sean young in this film yeah, oh, Sean mama. Young is in this movie. Oh my god. Um, little side note, let, let me like... go on a little tangent about uh, Sean Young. <laughs> go on a tangent about Sean Young. Well, first of all, Sean Young is, well, she kills it. She's beautiful. She's a she's very talented and amazing actress. And in two of the biggest movies that she ever got to be in, which is this version of Dune and the first Blade Runner, they give her yeah. dog shit romance plots. Yeah, they give her terrible, terrible romance stuff. Yeah, so yeah, she, bad. She's she in both of these films. She in well, besides playing a full character, she plays the love interest to the main character, and yes. both romances are not very believable. And then for the second Blade Runner, the entire well, romance one of them is plot like, happens off screen because she isn't really in the second one either. So She's dead. Yeah, she's dead. They bring her back as like a CGI version of herself and then they shoot her in the head or something. Yeah. Like, it's weird. Yeah, I was watching this movie and I was like, wait, Virginia Madsen is in this? Oh my God, Patrick Stewart is in this. Patrick Stewart is in this movie. Like we and said, a plays, lot of sexy. He plays George, He plays uh, Josh Brolin in this movie. Um, Gurney Halleck. Not... Not the character. He plays the actor Josh Brolin several years before he was like the guy he is now. Um, Wouldn't he have played James he, Brolin at the time? He, he would have played James Brolin at the time. Uh, Max von Sydow plays Liet Kynes. And the sexy doesn't Crazy. stop. The sexy doesn't the stop. The sexy doesn't stop. And Kyle MacLachlan, like in peak, like like young man heartthrob. Age, uh, as a heartthrob, yeah. Um, there's a bunch of like rent there's like a bunch of like regular Lynch players that he would let later like collaborate comic McLaughlin being like first and foremost out of all of them um, so you can see kind of where David Lynch would be like I like this and this and this because for the most part he disowned this movie like there's a yeah. bunch of cuts of this movie that say that it was directed by Alan Smithy which is like a placeholder term for this director hates this movie <laughs> that's what that precisely means. Oh yeah, uh, Everett McGill, like? the, the actor who plays Stilgar, became a oh, regular yeah. Lynch player, and Jack yeah. Nance, who plays Nefud, Nifad, he's also yeah. a he also became a regular Lynch player. Yeah, 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 a lot of lot of future regular players. I I wish Patrick Stewart was a regular Lynch player because he's so good at stuff. <laughs> he's so good i think he's so good i think patrick stewart became too big of a star to be a <laughs> yeah. lynch player oh yeah he became picard yeah shortly he after picard right at like right after this yeah so yeah forget that uh max von Sydow. man i can't believe they waste max von Sydow in like 
random side character roles, but he's the best at that kind of like stern. I'm in this movie for ten minutes and then I'm gone. Like yeah, and in in the new one, at least they gave the equivalent to his character. They gave Liet Kynes more of a yeah. story. Yeah, he's also supposed to be Chani's dad. He's also Chani's dad. Yeah. Uh, in in the book, and they they I don't know if they really they say daughter of Liet, and you're like, oh, she says it. That's she like says another. I'm the daughter of Chani. Says. I'm the daughter of Liet, but they don't call this character Liet Kynes. They just call him Kynes or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of good cast members, a lot of good, a couple of good performances, or at least very fun performances for me, mainly on the Harkonnen side because they are allowed to be like big villains and stuff. Um, yeah, I like the the special effects, even though they're very dated, like that Minecraft fight at the beginning. Very strange. It's very a, weird. That it's a fascinating special effect that looks awful. How about that? <laughs> it looks awful, but it's also like, man, in the 1980s, must have looked shitty as well. It must have looked real shitty to just be in a theater and be like, what's this fucking like block armor that they're using? You can't see anything. Yeah, like they fill the screen and you can't see absolutely anything at all. Some effects just remain universal. You know, the effects in two thousand one or in Star Wars or in Jurassic Park yeah. all look exactly. really good today and uh, were revolutionary for their time. You know, there's some sort of middle ground with the Star Wars prequels where the effects were revolutionary at the time and look like very outdated effects today. And then there's Dune, yeah. which just looked bad then and looks bad now. Yeah, it looks very strange. Um, there's, I think, there's a lot of, like, really cool, like, vi I think visually the choices are cool and, like, audio-wise the choices are cool. The editing is crazy in some scenes. Like, it's... The editing is like, murky in some scenes, though, The as editing well. is murky in some scenes, but which, some, sometimes which, it, like, let, let me get Let me get into this. Let, let, me, let me shoot in between yeah, sure. your, your tangent. So, uh, yeah, yeah. as a... As someone who became fascinated with David Lynch recently, I bought his book, one of his two books called Catching the Big Fish, yeah. which is sort of his, his big plea for everyone to practice transcendental meditation. And in between chapters where he talks about meditation, he talks about his work briefly. And he wrote this chapter called Final Cut, and I'm going to read from it now. It's a very short chapter, so it won't take much time. Yeah. I love the French. They're the biggest film buffs and protectors of cinema in the world. They really look out for the filmmaker and the rights of the filmmaker, and they believe in Final Cut. I've been very lucky that I've been in, that I've been in with some French companies that have backed me. But it wasn't always that way. When I made Dune, I didn't have Final Cut. It was a huge, huge sadness because I felt I had sold out. And on top of that, the film was a failure at the box office. If you do what you yeah. believe in and have a failure, that's one thing. You can still live with yourself. But if you don't, it's like dying twice. It's very, very painful. It's totally absurd for filmmakers not to be able to make films the way they want to make them. But in this business, it's very common. And then, well, he talks about a bit about painting. And then, again, he goes, so for me... Dune was a huge failure. <laughs> I knew I was getting yeah. into trouble when yeah, I agreed yeah, yeah. not to have Final Cut. I was hoping it would work out, but it didn't. The end result is not what I wanted. 
And that's sadness. Here's the thing, though. When you meditate and bliss starts coming up inside, it is not as painful. You can ride through things like this and live through it. But it has killed a lot of people. It has made them not want to make a film again. And that's the end of the chapter. So very short chapters. And you can sort of see his plea to practice meditation. So yeah, final yeah. cut, yeah, yeah, yeah. not in the hands of David Lynch. And you can tell you in can certain tell, spots yeah. with, for example, audio transition, where sometimes it's just completely stilted and you go for from a silent scene to a scene where there's music playing and people talking and it's all a bit chaotic. Yeah. So this movie was going to be three hours long. Uh, Universal made him cut it back to about two hours. And they had to do a lot of reshoots so they could make up for a lot of the cut footage. Um, and then it was further cut. Um, then it was re-released on television with some of the uncut scenes. Then it was released again on television with different scenes. Um, and at that point, if you... David Lynch disowned it. I'm sorry. And at that point, David Lynch was like, no, I didn't direct it. It was Alan Smithy. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess... To me, I really I like this movie as like an exercise and like just give a weird dude a weird story and let him do his weird stuff. Because like just like from the beginning, just the conversation the emperor has with the guild navigators, it's a very weird scene. The guild navigators look real gross. Um, they don't look I mean, the idea is like the guild navigators used to be human. Yeah. And they've been float because there's no aliens really in the Dune universe. So it's just a human that's been floating in like spice gas for so long. That's been that taking too much space cocaine. And they've been taking too much space coke to the point that they can navigate their ships and, and like fold space and stuff. But also they've been like physically deformed. And like you don't you don't get the guild navigators really in the David Lynch Dune. There's like a scene at the beginning where they're accepting the contract. And there's, like, figures, like, covered in, like, astronaut helmets that are, like, orange. And they're, and you're supposed to guess, like, oh, there's, like, spies floating around. And they're, there's, like, they're, they are the guild navigators. Yeah, they, they have, like, cracked skulls. And there's this sort of orange goo coming out of them. No. Or are they, those they have other like characters? I think those are other characters. Um, no, so they're, like, all dressed in white because they're supposed to be, like, the most powerful one of the most powerful factions in the world. Oh yeah, um, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. And they're they're like in this like white cocoon, um, and they're covered in like they have like a helmet that you can see like the tincture of spice like floating inside the helmets and stuff. Um, but in this movie, you get a giant monster with a little vagina mouth saying like, exactly. "You did not see this. I was never here." <laughs> like like he's like. Uh, I heard this rumor, but it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's like, hey, I was, I was, though. You know what it is, man? Like, it's, it's really weird. Absolutely. Now, and it's, the, the people who really carry in, that. the people who bring in the sort of cage that this space human spice worm is coming in, those have <laughs> yeah, the yeah. cracked skulls with the orange liquid coming out and they don't speak, uh, I guess, English. So they have this translator. Do you, yeah. do, do, do you, do you know yeah. who I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's those really but those characters are not the guild navigators. They are sort of the, I guess, the servants of the guild navigators. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. do you have anything more positive to say about this film? I mean, that's that that's it. I mean, like they let David Lynch be David Lynch all the way to the cutting room floor. And Basically. that's that's when this move that's when this movie really starts to show like it's like the way it was put together and stuff because like the first hour and a little bit more of this movie like the first hour and a half maybe yeah is all Lynch weirdness and there's a lot of like phallic and like genitalia and like a lot of symbolism and like <laughs> body horror and like there's like there's like weird scene where they have where but <laughs> this this is this part that I like. So Peter DeVries, which in this movie is called, who in this movie is called Peter, Peter DeVries for no reason, he uh, keeps Tufer Howat, the the Atreides Mentat, keeps him prisoner and keeps him poisoned. Basically, it's like you you have to be in service to us, and we're gonna poison you, and basically we're gonna milk this creature to get your antidote. But the the creature that they have to get the antidote from is, a is just like. It's just like a cat that's taped, like masking tape to a rat, and both of them are like attached to this giant piece of machinery. <laughs> like that's that's it, man. Like it's, I was I laughed so hard. It looks really bizarre. Like, this, it looks I so covered bizarre. my mouth in shock when I saw that. I have to be honest. Yeah, it's very weird. Like the the fact that they have to like they like put a rat in a blender and then mix it up and or like a little creature in a blender and mix it up and the and the Harkonnen dude drinks like the baron drinks it all of the baron stuff is just really gross he's like covered in pustules and they're always trying to like pop his zits and stuff and he covers himself in grease and all that stuff it's like yeah that's the weird stuff that i want from a david lynch directed dune like i i would have loved to see an entire movie where it's like like that all the way and just have it be bizarre and weird like as much as the Khodorovsky Dune would have been 18 hours long, I would watch all 18 of those hours. On and off, I would, but I would watch all 18 of those hours because that sounds that sounds like a crazy fun time, man. Yeah, the producers at the time would just you know make it a big. We could have made it a big TV show, but I guess it would have been too expensive, yeah. too expensive for a TV show because TV was sort of the cheap medium at the time. Yeah. In any way, uh, Hodorowsky and Mobius uh, took the ideas from their Dune adaptation and turned it into The Inkle, which is a pretty good comic book. Uh, but also, you could just make like an animated Hodorowsky Dune miniseries. That would have, that would be cool, actually. You can make that today like, with today's animation capabilities. You probably could not have made that in the 60s, though. Or you could have made it in the 60s, and it would look vintage and weird and awesome like it, you could have had all those ideas like happening at the same time like that would have been cool perhaps at least to me we'll never know um we'll never know that's the fun part uh so let's get into bad stuff um everyone looks a little sweaty all the time Every, everyone's a little sweaty all the time they everyone. are also in the desert not just the harkonnens the atreides <laughs> the fremen everyone's a little sweaty. the emperor Everyone just looks a <laughs> tiny bit sweaty. Yeah, um, I, I mean that's also part of the desert. Whole so the the fact that they all live in a desert, and they have to be sweating all the time so they can drink water. 
maybe that's a weird David Lynch detail that he left it as like, no, they're no, they're in a desert. They should be sweating all the time. Like he's all like he's he's a weird guy. He made uh, that short. Uh, what did Jack do? Did you watch that short? Yeah. Where he's just interviewing a monkey that committed murder. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a fun short. But it's also like that's that's David Lynch. You know, he's a weird dude with weird priorities. And everyone, yes, everyone's a little sweaty. Everyone looks very like mid eighties in terms of like haircuts, except the except the lady Jessica's boss, who's like bald and has like this thing around her head that looks yeah. really weird. Yeah, and then Lady Jessica um, sort of takes on that same aesthetic for herself. Um there is well uh when he has this sort of space gun, do you remember what it was called? The weirding module, yeah. When <laughs> When he shoots with the weirding model at the start, and when he's training the Fremen to use the weirding model, he sort of goes, Pacha! When he shoots it. <laughs> and again, that, that's. <laughs> it's a bit goofy yeah, and thing. weird. Very and goofy, yeah. I feel like that is something that was visualized a lot better in the modern adaptation. And yeah, not, not, not made don't... a big deal of either. So, because, you know. Sometimes to its detriment, the this film calls attention to goofy, weird details that make yeah. it even more goofy. Yeah, I mean, the, the Denis version is like, there's no such thing as guns. That's the first thing. We don't have guns in this movie. We only have uh, Maula pistols, which is like the little pistol that they have in the desert. And it shoots poison darts. That's exactly. what that pistol does. Um, and also, they're just really big on like Frank Herbert is like really big on like knife fights. He likes him his knife fights, and also just like the book is like very concerned about like no the 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 ferocity of the Fremen, their familiarity with the desert, and the fact that spoilers they ride sandworms into battle is like the reason they win hmm. in the at the end of the first Dune book. Yeah, and then this one is like, no, we're going to give them guns that are activated by yelling. <laughs> Including, like, and they start yelling Muad'Dib. They start yelling the name of Paul, like, and he does this thing of, like, my name is a killing word. <laughs> like, he does the whole thing. Yeah, just, um, just in general, them them talking to themselves. I know stuff. that you said that it, it adds to the sort of trippy uh, feeling of the film. Doesn't matter to me. I, I just didn't like that. It, 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 was, it was cringeworthy at times, you must admit. It was it was bad. Yeah. I can yeah, tell I can tell strange. he agrees when he just goes, yeah. Yeah, it, to me, um <laughs> I think Yeah, there's a lot of goofy stuff in this movie. I think the biggest and the most regretful part of this movie is the fact that it does take the source material and it transforms it into a generic white savior. This character is space Jesus by the end of the movie. Um, which is also what Khodorovsky was going to do. There's just less lame ways to do it, and there's less rushed ways to do it. Like, the way that this is edited, the first hour and a half of this movie is, like, very detailed and very deliberate, and it takes its time and being... I mean, the narration at the beginning helps. Absolutely. The narration by Princess Irulan just like, in the year 10,000, the Padisha Emperor rules the known... Like, it helps. It helps with that, you know? Um... But the fact that the first hour and a half of this movie is like that, and the last 40 minutes of this movie is what's going to comprise the entirety of part two, 
Like there's no it's like rushed. familiarity. It's so rushed and it's so and it devolves into like the white savior trope really easily. Um and it devolves into this kind of like, hey, no, this guy's God and he made it rain and then the movie's over. And that's that's a take. That's a take sure. of, that you could have on the doomed world, but you have to give it time to like seep into our brains and like he needs to earn the trust of the Fremen to the point that they consider him their messiah because the way that it's presented is just like um I'm gonna be Muad'Dib and then there's more narration and Princess Irulan is like in the two standard years that followed Paul mm. and Chani's love grew and he became their leader it's like a very weird way the romance to happens off screen which the, I hated the romance happens off screen the romance happens in a montage off screen it's it's in a kissing montage the weirdest well. combination it's it's a kissing montage um I there's a lot of differences from the book that are like sure whatever like that meeting between the emperor and the guild navigator doesn't really happen in the book all of the like we're giving the planet to the Atreides and we're doing this whole thing and like happens before the beginning of the book like the book begins with like oh we've accepted the contract we're leaving in a week like that it, that's how the book starts really um so there's a bunch of differences, like the fact that Raban gets beheaded at the end, and uh, the fact that they have their little yelling guns and stuff is like, sure, whatever. But it's that like core thematic difference that's like a kind of a deal breaker for me in terms of like that's why I say like atmosphere wise, good Dune adaptation. Story wise, doesn't really feel like Dune because part of the whole point of Dune is like everyone's lying to you. <laughs> Everyone's lying to you and people are questioning themselves and their actions constantly, yeah. which is something that Modern Dune does really well. Modern Dune does really well. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if Denis is going to go the like he's the actual messiah route or he's going to go with the because he does he does sprinkle like little things in part one of like. They arrive in Arrakis, all the Fremen like recognize Paul as their messiah and Jessica is like. No, it's like the we implanted the the Benny Jesuit implant, which is one of the coolest parts of the book to me. Yeah, the Benny Jesuit implant Messiah myths in like the tribal cultures of different planets, just in case they need to weaponize them, like yeah. in case of emergency, break Messiah myth, which in, is so in, cool. And the fact that in case of emergency, manipulate entire society. Yeah, in case of emergency, manipulate a planet into like a holy jihad crusade across the universe um yeah to me that's the biggest problem with this movie it's like it doesn't really feel like it's like a dune adaptation in terms of its themes and its ending and uh also the fact that everyone in this movie is white like doesn't really help doesn't really help <laughs> well there's yeah no i, I had I, since the last time we spoke about dune i have finished the audiobook and then i was very surprised when the fall of paul wasn't in this what the hell Come on. Yeah. The Fall of Paul wasn't in this. Uh, the Fall of Paul, the Fall of Paul, the Paul Fall really happens um, in like the subsequent book, I guess. Cause this well, one... yeah, but he, you, you start sympathizing with him as the main character throughout the first one. I think that's what I yeah. sort of meant as the fall. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, he his his the entire book. He's like, I know what's going to happen. 
and I have to prevent it from happening. And the fact that he fails because of like his responsibility as like the leader of the Fremen, like the fact that he has to keep them in check, like keeps him in the situation. And also his mother sort of keeps him in the situation and it's his tragic, lover, really. Johnny and his children keep him in the situation. It's a tragedy. It really is. And Paul narrates it like it's a tragedy. Like, I, I mean, I'll be the emperor if I have to. <laughs> like, it's the, that's the way it's, like, treated. And he hears, like, literally it ends with, like, you cannot go against the word of God or whatever. And then he makes it rain. And then his little sister, which, by the way, in this movie, really off-putting, which is the point. The point is that yeah. Talia is a creepy character. She's like a grown woman in a little girl's body. and But her voice is weird. Her voice, her voice is really off-putting. And he's like, he is the Kwisatz Haderach. And you're like, yeah, the movie's done. Um, yeah, every one of this movie's white. That's a big thing that I put in the notes. Um, uh, yeah. I also yeah, wrote down the types of, ex of, of exposition that we get. Uh, oh, this, so many types of exposition. Like I did so for The Last Airbender. So we have, of course, narration. We have robot <laughs> yes. interface exposition. We have yeah. conversation exposition, the classic. And then obviously we hear everyone's thoughts, which. Yeah. We hear everyone. Not only is this narrated by the omniscient narrator that is Princess Irulan, uh, which is, by the way, it's also the kind of framing device in the book is that Irulan is keeping a record of like the story of Paul Atreides and stuff, which is a cool idea. Like she's the framing. But also at the same time, it's like, Hunter Seeker, if I move, it'll kill me. <laughs> like that kind of stuff is like, yeah, it does make sense. Because like in a book, that's what happens. In a book, you get like inner monologue. But you don't need inner monologue if you're seeing and listening to the action. Kind of. It's like, yeah, it's it's the basic principle of show don't tell. And it's just, it's just resolved in the Denis movie so well. Like he breaks the Hunter Seeker and he's like, Oh shit! It was a hunter seeker. <laughs> like, like, like he says to shout out Mapes, the housekeeper. He's like, "Oh, it's a hunter seeker. It, it's attracted to movement, and that's why I had to stay still." Like, it, and it's also a lot of show don't like you were saying show don't tell. Yeah, that's my main complaint because everything else is like, "Oh, this is a waste of Patrick Stewart." Like, <laughs> he should be in this movie more. He should be yelling. A, he's good at yelling. He's good at dramatic sci-fi yelling. Um. And there's there's a bit at the one hour and thirty two minute mark, where <laughs> it's I think it's a scene between Baron Harkonnen and Raban. Raban is Raban is Raban is his fat nephew. There you Fate go. Yes, that's sting. what I mean. Then Raban, uh, the he beast. he uh, he rips off a piece of a cow and starts eating yeah. it and is sort of making noises with his mouth and while he's doing that <laughs> the baron talks to him and the baron's face is really gross so i genuinely yeah, almost ran gross. to the toilet and vomited after watching that scene i'm not going to lie it it yeah it made me gag really it was gross. really 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 gross the baron is gross and it's also one of those things where it's like this is a holdover for the books which is like unfortunate because it did come out in the 60s but like he's the main villain and he's gross and he's fat and he's like a ginger dude and he's also gay like they they put all of the <laughs> they put a bunch of stuff on this one villain like all the heroes straight uh blonde or brunettes 
who are thin, wiry thin, because they're like athletes from the desert. And the main villain and his like evil underling are both like fat and gross and and the Baron is gay. Like it's an unfortunate thing. It's a holdover for the books. Yeah. And I'm glad that the, the new movie so far hasn't like delved into that kind of stuff and they just keep Vladimir Harkin in this like kind of like sexless like blob of evil that's floating over everybody and the fact that he's he's in the new movie he's the one that beheads doc dr yui with a knife like like holding his hair and just beheads him it's like oh yeah. that's that's insane in terms of and how I, the harkonnens are brought to the screen i wrote a comparative note there in in this david lynch doing they're stylized and hideous yeah and in denise version they're stylized and terrifying they're stylized and creepy, yeah. And there's, Hark- there's, Harkin there's a sort of very thin line that you can walk between terrifying and hideous. And I yeah. think the new movie walks that line a lot better. A lot better, yeah. He, the thing is also, like, Denis Villeneuve also understands that there is a kind of horror in, like, monochromat, in, like, big chunks of concrete, like, flying over and obscuring the land you know what i mean yeah <laughs> like the fact that the creatures in um in arrival are so like creepy is because they're hidden behind fog the whole time like that's what makes them creepy and their their spaceship is this kind of like slab of concrete with no like discernible like detail so you're like how do the aliens fly this like that's what makes it creepy and mysterious and uh yeah, the, like the shot in Denise Dune where it's like you can see the ship that takes all the the stuff to Arrakis. It's just like a cylinder and you can vaguely see the outline of another planet through like the cylinder and you have that mysterious music as like the ships rise out of the water and stuff. Like that's what makes it cool. And in here it's like, yeah, it's just a lot of weird details which make it equally which don't make it creepy, it's just bizarre, and it feeds yeah. into, like, the David Lynch vibe of the, like, yeah, man, that scene where he has, like, a cat duct taped to a rat and duct taped to a bunch of machinery is, like, this is this is insane. So, I'll, I'll jump into some more, like, random stuff. I yeah, think... Yeah, jump into random stuff. Uh, the fact that Spice sort of to bring up, sort of helps bring about this enlightenment might have been yeah. a reason that David Lynch was interested in this in the first place because David Probably, Lynch has yeah. practiced meditation for so long. Even though I'm not sure he was already in the 80s. That's that's a while ago now. But regardless, maybe this was a reason why he, uh, you know, felt... It's it's also a really good book. So that's probably the main reason. Oh, it's a, This is one of the particularities book. that might have convinced him. He was also... There's a quote here that says he wanted to make this because he thought he was making Star Wars for grown-ups. And that's yeah. what he told a lot of his actors and actresses because he was going to make a trilogy. He was going to make Dune. Uh, he was going to make Dune Messiah, which is the next part. Uh, and then he was going to make Children of Dune. And then he didn't... He And after Children of Dune, you don't really need to read the books because it's just like <laughs> Paul's son turns into a giant worm and he breeds his, his sister's descendants with the clones of Jason Momoa. You don't need to do that. Duncan, Idaho. Um, yeah, the the ending of book three is like, Paul is dead. Spoilers. 
and his son Leto takes over control of the entire Imperium. Like that's the plot, um, which is a fun plot. Um, yeah, Doom's just cool. So uh, as soon as I saw the name De Laurentiis, I knew that I, I know that from somewhere. What turns out that Dino De Laurentiis is a, a movie magnate, if you will, of his time. But that's not the reason that I knew the De Laurentiis name. The reason that I know yeah. the De Laurentiis name, and it, it, it has to do with my deep connection with uh, the sports world, is that I know who Aurelio De Laurentiis is. Aurelio De Laurentiis is the nephew of Dino De Laurentiis, who is also oh. a massive film producer, mostly Italian films. I think exclusively Italian films, actually. <laughs> but the reason that I know him very well is that he's the owner and chairman of the Napoli Football Club, which oh. the most famous and best Mexican player currently, Irving Lozano, plays at. Oh, that's an interesting little piece of trivia. That's an interesting piece of trivia. And Aurelio De Laurentiis is also famous for being one of the harshest negotiators when it comes to player contracts and player transfers. Just a little side note for the sports fans out there, all three of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have a couple of random notes. I, I really wish they had given a little bit more meat to the character of Duncan Idaho. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because, like, the whole point of, like, the fact that, I mean, I, I like this version of Dr. Yue more than I like the version of Dr. Yue and Denise do. Yeah, because he's they, he's, he's part of the core uh, sort of yeah. group that helps Paul, you know, train and yeah, mature. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the guys who raises him, basically, so that's why it's such a huge betrayal, and that's why it feeds into, like, uh, Jessica's desire for vengeance and the fact that Paul actually goes through with it is like the fact that he was betrayed and he was like that his father's life was like tossed aside by this doctor in his household for good reasons. They have his wife. Um, but also the fact that they didn't really dig into the characters of Duncan Idaho and Gurney Halleck and their relationship with Paul is kind of a big miss for this movie for me because like that way you don't leave him any family, really. And maybe that's stuff that was cut out of the movie. Who knows? Probably. Nobody knows. Possibly. Nobody knows the same with David Lynch. Um, and Universal, I guess. Uh, yeah, I just I just really would have liked if this story felt a little more human and was less like, no, Paul Atreides is Jesus and he's going to make it rain in Arrakis. Make it rain with money, am I right? Make make it rain. Nah, because this movie bombed. Um, Shit. This movie went real bad. I have a little piece of trivia that I really liked. Uh, so Khodorovsky, when he learned that Lynch was going to direct an adaptation of Dune, and it was actually getting bankrolled, Khodorovsky was mad and disappointed in himself because he was like, David Lynch is the only other director who could do a Dune movie besides me, which is a crazy thing to say. <laughs> it's a pretty crazy, weird declaration and statement to make. Okay. Just like a really weird, it's a really weird statement to make. Uh, so he was like, oh man, he gets to make it instead of me. One of those things. So the Dune movie comes out. Khodorovsky is dragged by his kids to go see it. And as the movie goes on, Khodorovsky gets happier and happier because he's like, yay, this movie sucks. Like <laughs> he's been quoted as saying that. Really? It's in the Khodorovsky Dune, do it's in the Khodorovsky Dune documentary. He was so happy 
that the movie sucked ass. <laughs> he was so happy that he was like, oh, it was terrible. But I don't blame David Lynch because he's wonderful. I blame the studio. Like, he's gracious enough to be like, oh, it's not David Lynch's fault. Like, it's so weird and bizarre the way my movie was going to be weird and bizarre. Not nearly as much because, again, 18-hour long movie with Dali and Orson Welles. That would have been – and music by Pink Floyd. That would have been crazy. He literally talks about how, like, his intro shot to the planet Arrakis was going to be a 20-minute-long zoom from space all the way to, like, the city of Arrakeen. <laughs> like, it was going to be a 20-minute-long, like, long zoom into, like, a stop-motion planet, like, in a studio somewhere. It's, Beautiful. It's the crazy shit. It's that, yeah, that's exactly how you want stuff. Like, imagine you're watching 18-hour movie Dune, and the first 20 minutes are just, like, a zoom in. Instead of having Virginia Madsen being, like, in the year 10,000, it's just, like, a slow zoom into a planet with the sweet, sweet music of Pink Floyd playing. Yeah, just take some edibles and go watch the Khodorovsky Dune movie. That would have been fun. But it Trip doesn't out exist. for 18 hours. Not real. Yeah, um, I have apparently there is one more adaptation of Dune miniseries uh, that is a the miniseries, which is apparently cool. It's apparently good. It stars James McAvoy as Paul. Uh, no. Yeah, James McAvoy isn't, plays isn't, Paul in the Isn't James McAvoy Leto the second in the sequel? Oh, that might be the truth. Uh, <laughs> um. Frank Herbert's Dune, the sci-fi... No, yeah, you're right. James McAvoy plays his son. Um, but William Hurt is in it, and he plays Leto, or Leto. There you go. Alec Newman is Paul Atreides. There you go. Uh, we got there Ian, at the like end. A, bun a bunch of like character actors are in this. So cool. That, I, that does sound fun. I would like to check that out sometime. I do want to see the one where uh, James McAvoy plays his son. That sounds fun. Yeah, man. I mean, here's the the thing is like, if any like book lends itself to a miniseries, it is Doom because there's a lot of politics to delve into. There's a lot of like cool scenes that were cut out of this of the movie adaptation and the Denis version. Like this, there's this really cool like dinner party scene in the in the original book that really tells you about like the politics of Arrakis and like they replace that scene with like Paul looking at the date trees in the Denis version just like the fact that they're using the water that would normally uh quench the thirst of 30 men on two like palm trees that's a that's a scene that gives you basically that basically feeds the point yeah i think this movie to do some like final thoughts we're not going to see what's going to replace this on the poll because again this is a special presentation not on the poll max and myself not on the poll um yeah i think this is just an unfortunate movie in terms of like this could have been one of those great like 80s sci-fi movies and it wasn't because it was cut to shit by the studio and disowned by its director and it's just like an unfortunate sort of like put together version of dune um i like the denis version more as a movie it's uh it's a good movie not only is it a good dune adaptation it's a good movie good, good movie overall casting that is just as good as the david lynch dune i would say maybe a little better in the case of its lead i do think timmy c is a better actor than kyle mclaughlin at the um, time i 
yeah, at the time he's improved. Um, he he plays the captain in a sitcom. I don't remember which sitcom. Uh, oh, it was a How I Met Your Mother. He's like a guest character on How I Met Your Mother. He just plays the captain. I <laughs> know, yeah, and so and Kyle McLaughlin in Kyle McLaughlin in Twin Peaks is just in wow. Twin Peaks. It's oh yeah, beautiful. Of course. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I like New Dune more. Uh, I like the book Dune more. Uh, I just find this to be a wonderfully bizarre looking movie from the like a like a bizarre looking relic from the 80s. I'm glad that it's a cult movie. It's one of those movies that you're like, yeah, I get why this is a cult movie. You know what I mean? Certainly. Uh, I mean, I, I agree that I prefer the new one. I agree that this was mishandled because the book yeah. is frankly too complex to be handled yeah. in a normal Hollywood type of way. And the fact that it's not being handled this way today, I think should make every Dune fan happy. Every fan of the first book, at the very least. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's as good of a place to end this, unless you have anything more to say. Uh, nothing really uh, other, other than... Uh, you know, thank you for putting up with this sort of weird inside information that I put out reading from David Lynch's book, telling you about Aurelio <laughs> De Laurentiis. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we talked a lot about Khodorovsky. Yeah, Khodorovsky we'll turns out not a great guy. Khodorovsky is a, <laughs> a mean dude. Damn, what a shame. Yeah, <laughs> a shame that he's a dick. Well then, uh, once again, we ask you, subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform. Tell a friend about the podcast if you enjoy it. Yep. Please do. And we'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled programming. Until then, Pat, it's been an honor, as it is always. And yes. we'll listen to each other again next week. Yes. Next week. See you guys next week with Garfield, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to watch two Garfield movies for the price of one.